the begging letter writer this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for information or to volunteer visit LibriVox.org. recording by mary schneider charles dickens two hundredth anniversary collection volume three the begging letter writer by charles dickens the amount of money he annually diverts from wholesome and useful purposes in the united kingdom would be a set-off against the window tax he is one of the most shameless frauds and impositions of this time in his idleness his mendacity and the immeasurable harm he does to the deserving dirtying the stream of true benevolence and muddling the brains of foolish justices with inability to distinguish between the base coin of distress and the true currency we have always among us he is more worthy of norfolk island than three-fourths of the worst characters who are sent there under any rational system he would have been sent there long ago i the writer of this paper have been for some time a chosen receiver of begging letters for fourteen years my house has been made as regular a receiving house for such communications as any one of the great branch post offices is for general correspondence i ought to know something of the begging letter writer he has besieged my door at all hours of the day and night he has fought my servants he has lain in ambush for me going out and coming in he has followed me out of town into the country he has appeared at provincial hotels where i have been staying for only a few hours he has written to me from immense distances when i have been out of england he has fallen sick he has died and been buried he has come to life again and again departed from this transitory scene he has been his own son his own mother his own baby his idiot brother his uncle his aunt his aged grandfather he has wanted a great coat to go to india in a pound to set him up in life forever a pair of boots to take him to the coast of china a hat to get him into a permanent situation under government he has frequently been exactly seven and sixpence short of independence he has had such openings at liverpool posts of great trust and confidence in merchants houses which nothing but seven and sixpence was wanting to him to secure that i wonder he is not mayor of that flourishing town at the present moment the natural phenomena of which he has been the victim are of a most astounding nature he has had two children who have never grown up who have never had anything to cover them at night who have been continually driving him mad by asking in vain for food who have never come out of fevers and measles which i suppose has accounted for his fuming his letters with tobacco smoke as a disinfectant who have never changed in the least degree through the fourteen long revolving years as to his wife what that suffering woman has undergone nobody knows she has always been in an interesting situation through the same long period and has never been confined yet his devotion to her has been unceasing he has never cared for himself he could have perished he would rather in short but was it not his christian duty as a man a husband and a father to write begging letters when he looked at her he has usually remarked 
that he would call in the evening for an answer to this question he has been the sport of the strangest misfortunes what his brother has done to him would have broken anybody else's heart his brother went into business with him and ran away with the money his brother got him to be security for an immense sum and left him to pay it his brother would have given him employment to the tune of hundreds a year if he would have consented to write letters on a sunday his brother enunciated principles incompatible with his religious views and he could not in consequence permit his brother to provide for him his landlord has never shown a spark of human feeling when he put in that execution i don't know but he has never taken it out the broker's man has grown gray in possession they will have to bury him some day he has been attached to every conceivable pursuit he has been in the army in the navy in the church in the law connected with the press the fine arts public institutions every description and grade of business he has been brought up as a gentleman he has been at every college in oxford and cambridge he can quote latin in his letters but generally misspells some minor english word he can tell you what shakespeare says about begging better than you know it it is to be observed that in the midst of his afflictions he always reads the newspapers and rounds off his appeal with some allusion that may be supposed to be in my way to the popular subject of the hour his life presents a series of inconsistencies sometimes he has never written such a letter before he blushes with shame that is the first time that shall be the last don't answer it and let it be understood that then he will kill himself quietly sometimes and more frequently he has written a few such letters then he encloses the answers with an intimation that they were of inestimable value to him and a request that they may be carefully returned he is fond of enclosing something verses letters pawnbrokers duplicates anything to necessitate an answer he is very severe upon the pampered minion of fortune who refused him the half-sovereign referred to in the enclosure number two but he knows me better he writes in a variety of styles sometimes in low spirits sometimes quite jocosely when he is in low spirits he writes downhill and repeats words these little indications being expressive of the perturbation of his mind when he is more vivacious he is frank with me he is quite the agreeable rattle i know what human nature is who better well he had a little money once and he ran through it as many men have done before him he finds his old friends turn away from him now many men have done that before him too shall he tell me why he writes to me because he has no kind of claim upon me he puts it on that ground plainly and begs to ask for the loan as i know human nature of two sovereigns to be repaid next tuesday six weeks before twelve at noon sometimes when he is sure that i have found him out and that there is no chance of money he writes to inform me that i have got rid of him at last he has enlisted into the company's service and is off directly but he wants a cheese he is informed by the sergeant that it is essential to the prospects in the regiment 
that he should take out a single Gloucester cheese, weighing from twelve to fifteen pounds. Eight or nine shillings would buy it. He does not ask for money after what has passed, but if he calls at nine tomorrow morning, may he hope to find a cheese? And is there anything he can do to show his gratitude in Bengal? Once he wrote me a rather special letter proposing relief in kind. He had got into a little trouble by leaving parcels of mud done up in brown paper at people's houses on the pretense of being a railway porter, in which character he received carriage money. This sportive fancy he expiated in the house of correction. Not long after his release, and on a Sunday morning, he called with a letter, having first dusted himself all over, in which he gave me to understand that being resolved to earn an honest livelihood, he had been travelling around the country with a cart of crockery, that he had been doing pretty well until the day before, when his horse had dropped down dead near Chatham in Kent, that this had reduced him to the unpleasant necessity of getting into the shafts himself, and drawing the cart of crockery to London, a somewhat exhausting pull of thirty miles. That he did not venture to ask for money, but that if I have the goodness to leave him out a donkey, he would call for the animal before breakfast. At another time, my friend, I am describing actual experiences, introduced himself as a literary gentleman in the last extremity of distress. He had had a play accepted at a certain theatre, which was really open. Its representation was delayed by the indisposition of a leading actor, who was really ill, and he and his were in a state of absolute starvation. If he made his necessities known to the manager of the theatre, he put it to me to say what kind of treatment he might expect. Well, we got over that difficulty to our mutual satisfaction. A little while afterwards he was in some other strait. I think Mrs. Southcote, his wife, was in extremity, and we adjusted that point too. A little while afterwards he had taken a new house and was going headlong to ruin for want of a water-butt. I had my misgivings about the water-butt and did not reply to that epistle. But a little while afterwards I had reason to feel penitent for my neglect. He wrote me a few broken-hearted lines, informing me that the dear partner of his sorrows died in his arms last night at nine o'clock. I dispatched a trusty messenger to comfort the bereaved mourner and his poor children, but the messenger went so soon that the play was not ready to be played out. My friend was not at home, and his wife was in the most delightful state of health. He was taken up by the Mendicity Society, informally it afterwards appeared, and I presented myself at a London police office with my testimony against him. The magistrate was wonderfully struck by his educational requirements, deeply impressed by the excellence of his letters, exceedingly sorry to see a man of his attainments there, complimented him highly on his powers of composition, and was quite charmed to have the agreeable duty of discharging him. A collection was made for the poor fellow, as he was called in the reports, and I left the court with a comfortable sense of being universally regarded as a sort of monster. 
next day comes to me a friend of mine the governor of a large prison why did you ever go to the police office against that man says he without coming to me first i know all about him and his frauds he lodged in the house of my warders at the very time when he first wrote to you and then he was eating spring lamb at eighteen pence a pound and early asparagus at i know not how much a bundle on that very same day and in that very same hour my injured gentleman wrote a solemn address to me demanding to know what compensation i proposed to make him for his having passed the night in a loathsome dungeon the next morning an irish gentleman a member of the same fraternity who had read the case and was very well persuaded i should be chary of going to that police office again positively refused to leave my door for less than a sovereign and resolved to besiege me into compliance literally sat down before it for ten mortal hours the garrison being well provisioned i remained within the walls and he raised the siege at midnight with a prodigious alarum on the bell the begging letter-writer often has an extensive circle of acquaintance whole pages of the court guide are ready to be references for him noblemen and gentlemen write to say there never was such a man for probity and virtue they have known him time out of mind and there is nothing they wouldn't do for him somehow they don't give him that one pound ten he stands in need of but perhaps it is not enough they want to do more and his modesty will not allow it it is to be remarked of his trade that it is a very fascinating one he never leaves it and those who are near to him become smitten with a love of it too and sooner or later set up themselves he employs a messenger man woman or child that messenger is certainly ultimately to become an independent begging letter writer his sons and daughters succeed to his calling and write begging letters when he is no more he throws off the infection of begging letter writers like the contagion of disease what sidney smith so happily called the dangerous luxury of dishonesty is more tempting and more catching it would seem in this instance than any other he always belongs to a corresponding society of begging letter writers any one who will may ascertain this fact give money to-day in recognition of a begging letter no matter how unlike a common begging letter and for the next fortnight you will have a rush of such communications steadily refuse to give and the begging letters become angels visits until the society is from some cause or other in a dull way of business and may as well try you as anybody else it is of little use inquiring into the begging letter writer's circumstances he may be sometimes accidentally found out as in the case already mentioned though that was not the first inquiry made but apparent misery is always a part of his trade and real misery very often is in the intervals of spring lamb and early asparagus it is naturally an incident of his dissipated and dishonest life that the calling is a successful one and that large sums of money are gained by it must be evident to anybody who reads the police reports of such cases 
but prosecutions are of rare occurrence relatively to the extent to which the trade is carried on the cause of this is to be found as no one knows better than the begging letter writer for it is part of his speculation in the aversion people feel to exhibit themselves as having been imposed upon or as having weakly gratified their consciences with lazy flimsy substitute for the noblest of all virtues there is a man at large at the moment when this paper is preparing for the press on the twenty ninth of april eighteen fifty and never once taken up yet who within these twelve months has been probably the most audacious and most successful swindler that even this trade has ever known there has been something singularly base in this fellow's proceedings it has been his business to write to all sorts and conditions of people in the names of persons of high reputation and unblemished honor professing to be in distress the general admiration and respect for whom has ensured a ready and generous reply now in the hope that the results of the real experience of a real person may do something more to induce reflection on this subject than any abstract treatise and with a personal knowledge of the extent to which the begging letter trade has been carried on for some time and has been for some time constantly increasing the writer of this paper entreats the attention of his readers to a few concluding words his experience is a type of the experience of many some on a smaller some on an infinitely larger scale all may judge of the soundness or unsoundness of his conclusions from it long doubtful of the efficacy of such assistance in any case whatever and able to recall but one within his whole individual knowledge in which he had the least after reason to suppose that any good was done by it he was led last autumn into some serious considerations the begging letters flying about by every post made it perfectly manifest that a set of lazy vagabonds were interposed between the general desire to do something to relieve the sickness and misery under which the poor were suffering and the suffering poor themselves that many who sought to do some little to repair the social wrongs inflicted in the way of preventable diseases and death upon the poor were strengthening those wrongs however innocently by wasting money on pestilent knaves cumbering society that imagination soberly following one of these knaves into his life of punishment in jail and comparing it with the life of one of these poor in a cholera-stricken alley or one of the children of one of those poor soothed in its dying hour by the late lamented mr drouet contemplated a grim farce impossible to be presented very much longer before god or man that the crowning miracle of all the miracles summed up in the new testament after the miracle of the blind seeing and the lame walking and the restoration of the dead to life was the miracle that the poor had the gospel preached to them that while the poor were unnaturally and unnecessarily cut off by the thousand in the prematurity of their age or in the rottenness of their youth for a flower or blossom such youth has none the gospel was not preached to them saving in hollow and unmeaning voices 
that of all wrongs this was the first mighty wrong the pestilence warned us to set right and that no post-office order to any amount given to a begging letter writer for the quieting of an uneasy breast would be presentable on the last great day as anything towards it the poor never write these letters nothing could be more unlike their habits the writers are public robbers and we who support them are parties to their depredations they trade upon every circumstance within their knowledge that affects us public or private joyful or sorrowful they pervert the lessons of our lives they change what ought to be our strength and virtue into weakness and encouragement of vice there is a plain remedy and it is in our own hands we must resolve at any sacrifice of feeling to be deaf to such appeals and crush the trade there are degrees in murder life must be held sacred among us in more ways than one sacred not merely from the murderous weapon or the subtle poison or the cruel blow but sacred from preventable diseases distortions and pains that is the first great end we have to set against this miserable imposition physical life respected moral life comes next what will not content a begging letter writer for a week would educate a score of children for a year let us give all we can let us give more than ever let us do all we can let us do more than ever but let us give and do with a high purpose not to endow the scum of the earth to its own greater corruption with the offals of our duty end of the begging letter writer